Well, hey, as we begin today, I, I want to do a little experiment to start us off. Did you know that humans only use 10% of their brains? 10%. I mean, think about what type of powers you could unlock if you could just use the other 90%. Heck, just give us another 10 on top of that. What could happen? Okay, actually, that whole thing is debunked myth. Um, that's not really true. You use more of your brain. Um, but researchers have theorized that if you could just unlock the potential within you, then you could do something that might normally seem absurd because if all matter is really just connected, really just moving cells, then it should be possible for humans to bend a pen with the power of their mind. So here's what I want every one of you to do. I want you to take a look at this pen. It's an ordinary pen, nothing special about it, and I want you to just visualize it melting. Just bending and melting right here in my hand. Can you try that with me? I know this sounds stupid, but I want you to give it a try. It helps to look, really look at the pen and see it happening. And so I want you to just clear your mind, really concentrate on unlocking that other portion of your brain. Are you ready for that? Okay, here we go. We're all doing it. On the count of three. One, two, three. Did it work? Did it move? Did it move? Did it move for you? I, it didn't move for me. Of course it didn't move. Like, it's a pen. But <laughs> that wasn't actually the experiment. Thank you for trying it at home if you tried it. The experiment was how many of you, even though you didn't think it would move, still tried? Was there any brave, willing souls out there trying, just trying to do anything types? How many of you laughed at the beginning and said, you know, why are we wasting our time doing this? Some of y'all? You just kept checking the clock to see, like, when are we actually going to get to the meat of this passage? Come on, Slim. Uh, <laughs> but there's a third group of you that, that were trying to appear like that second group, skeptical, of course this won't work. I'm not going to do that. But, like, like you know, I'm just going to watch. And, like, if something were crazy to happen, I'm, I'm just going to see. So I'm going to stay glued in on this, but I'm not doing that. All right. That, to me, is the picture of how the Christians and non-Christians alike see things like heaven and the promises of Scripture. Some are like that second group, and they're just outright don't believe any of it. All this talk of a hopeful future is the opiate of the masses. Some are like that third group and really want to fit in with the world. And so we don't want to look like we actually believe this stuff. And we're going we're to act like we have a cynical outlook on the world, but we really are hoping for something better. But there's that first group, and that's the one I'm most interested in right now. The group that's willing to try anything. I love your optimistic outlook on life. But when it didn't work, when the pen didn't move, how did you feel? Embarrassed? I can't believe it. I fell for it. Idiot! And to protect myself, I will never hope again. I'll never get my hopes up. I'll only assume things can only get worse and life is just slowly falling apart. All we're doing is just delaying the inevitable. Well, that got dark. Um... <laughs> But how many of you feel like you can relate to that? I mean, that's a dark place to be in. But as we enter this Christmas season, there's a brilliant theologian, Fleming Rutledge, who's famous for reminding us all that Advent begins in the dark. In contrast to the jubilee and the over-the-top joy-filled emotions of Christmas, Advent begins in the dark. And it's like one of my biggest frustrations with, with this season of Christmas is that we do these Christmas songs celebrating 
little baby Jesus in a manger and try to conjure up all these nostalgic emotions of, of happier days. And when the season is over, I feel like many of you felt after trying to move, make your mind do something it couldn't do, like moving a pen, I feel embarrassed. Did I really think twinkling lights and holiday music would change anything? That's not how Christmas came the first time. And it seems absolutely ludicrous for us to celebrate a little baby in a manger when he's no longer a baby or in a manger anymore. But don't take me for a Grinch uh, that, that I'm not super excited about the Christmas season. I, I love the Christmas season. But I love Advent more. And as we said, Advent means waiting. And it, it's this tension that every one of your kids ha has had when they went on a car ride, maybe recently, and they've asked, are we there yet? Because all of us are in waiting and we're all asking God, are we there yet? Advent is a cry for God to make all things new. And that is our cry this winter. Please, Lord, make all things new. And each week we're going to look at a theme that traditionally marks each Sunday leading up to Christmas. Those Advent candles celebrate particular things. The first is hope and then peace then joy, and then love, and finally celebrate Christ's first advent. But today, in our cry for God to make all things new, we're yearning for a new hope. And that's the title of my sermon today, A New Hope. Yes, just like the galaxy was yearning for a new hope, after Anakin went full-blown evil, became Darth Vader, hunted down and killed most of the Jedi, even little kids, when they felt that all hope was lost, a new hope came. This was the same cry of God's people in Isaiah's time. They needed a new hope. And to understand this passage, we're going to look at it in three ways. We're going to look at the paralysis of darkness, the promise of hope, and the proof in the pudding. Let me say that again. The, the paralysis of darkness, the promise of hope, and the proof in the pudding. Sometimes when, when life hits you hard, you can be paralyzed by the darkness. This poem in Isaiah 35 is one of the most uplifting and encouraging poems in all of the Bible. It is chock full of hope. But the reason you offer hope to someone is because they need to hear it. They're in a hopeless place. Verse 1 speaks of, of the darkness, of the wasteland that God's people are in. It refers to it as the wilderness, the dry land, the desert. All, all that should conjure up images of God's people on the move for 40 years looking for the promised land. Isaiah is living in these Exodus-type terms here. He's using this. The people of God are, are a pilgrim people, and we can picture long walks through dry sands and mirages of water that aren't really there. And then verse 3 speaks of the weak hands and the, the feeble knees. And some of you know exactly what this verse is talking about. I mean, if it takes you a week to recover from 20 minutes of minimal exercise, then you know the pains that this verse is talking about. I mean, if you wake up and have to, to crack all your knuckles, you, 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 you know what this verse is talking about. If you need to say sporadically throughout the day inaudible words like, oh, gosh, Oh, Lordy, while also putting your hand on your lower back, <laughs> or maybe you're eating aspirin like candy, then you know what this verse is talking about. And then verse 4 says, To those with an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. And so 
He's talking to those who are living in debilitating anxiety. The, the fearful hearted are the people who have been traumatized again and again by threats of attack and destruction so that they've lived in, in emotionally on the raw edge of frenzy. And to constantly live in fear drains the body, drains the mind, drains the soul of its vitality, of its creativity, of its strength. I mean, it just wears you down. Then in verse 5, it goes on to those who are either blind, deaf, or paralyzed. And so all of this, all these pictures are images the prophet is using through poetry to depict the paralysis of darkness. Have you ever felt paralyzed by darkness? To be so overwhelmed by the darkness that you, you say, what's the point? Nothing I do matters anyways, and so why try? That is called hopelessness, and you are without hope. And hope is a dangerous thing to lose. Sometimes when all we do is look at our present surroundings, like the wasteland that we live in, that the body that isn't working right, or the overwhelming fear of someone or something can paralyze us into giving up hope. And this, this can happen when you receive some bad news, when you lost your job, when you were rejected, when you fell back into addiction. We give up hope. And we live in a very dangerous time. We live in an epidemic of hopelessness. And, and that was before the epidemic hit us. Even before 2020, depression and suicides were skyrocketing all over the country. I mean, we had teenagers, we had boys and girls, adult men, adult women, every category seeing life and saying it's not worth it. Life is too hard. The wasteland will always be a wasteland. I hate my body. Nothing matters. Nothing changes. I'm calloused by the darkness. Pens don't bend and heaven's not real. And to you, let me remind you, Advent begins in the dark. It is for people just like you. The people of Israel, just like us, longed for things to be different and longed for change. And that's when the paralysis of darkness is met with the promise of hope. Look at this beautiful promises that are, that are given here in this. We move from wasteland to garden. I mean, I love that, that in heaven, all things will be made new. Even the earth. Verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice. Verse 2, the glory of Lebanon or the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. These are some lush lands. Later in verse 7, the burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. I mean, isn't it great that God cares about creation that much? That he cares about your apple tree that will finally make apples? Or that old tree that you had that, that you, it pained you to see die, fall over, get infested with pests or whatever? That will be remade. Thank you, Lord. Those weak hands strengthened, weak knees made firm. But here's where this gets difficult. Sure, that all sounds great. Who wouldn't want all this good stuff? But it feels almost too good to be true. And the doubt creeps back in. And that's why we're talking about hope today. Because if you don't have hope, you lose everything. The reason you cheated your taxes was because you didn't have hope. The reason you broke your promise was because of a lack of hope. The reason you raged out was because of a lack of hope. The reason you worry is because of a lack of hope. Deep down, the root sin behind every other sin is a lack of hope. It is doubt. It's as the devil says to Eve, did God really say that? 
It's a lack of trust and belief that God will work all things out for those who love him. So hope is a big deal. You're not a Christian without hope. You have to put your hope and faith in Jesus or this whole thing just doesn't work out. But the problem is our, our English word for hope is just way too weak. In fact, it's, it, it's, it's downright misleading. When we Americans say the word hope, it doesn't signify the biblical concept of hope. We think of things like, are you sure the vaccine is coming in the spring? No, but I, I hope it does. Well, that carries uncertainty with it. We're not sure. But we, 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 we hope, like, like shooting up a, a three-pointer like Steph Curry and say, well, I hope this isn't embarrassing. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe I'll sink it from half court, but most likely you'll miss the entire backboard entirely. <laughs> Here's some things that I, I hope for that probably won't happen. I hope I get some new hair on my head. I hope I'll get selected first in a pickup game of basketball. I hope I'll be asked to sing for Mosaic one day. I can hope, but there is little expectation that it'll actually happen. But the biblical word for hope has nothing to do with that. Biblical hope is confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. It's talking about faith, but it's also applying to hope. It's a belief in your bones that, of course, these things will happen. Biblical hope looks at these promises Isaiah gives to God's people and says, this will happen. And even though you can't see it to be true now, even though the present circumstances don't seem to be giving you reason to hope, you can bank on God's promises every time. Romans 8.24 says, Paul says, for in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? Paul is making the point that True hope has a future expectation about it. You, hope for, you, you don't hope for cool air when, when you're standing outside feeling the breeze. You're just enjoying it. But hope is looking towards something. It's looking past the darkness and to the light. And so what are you looking forward to? What are you hoping in? What consumes your mind when you wake up? What do you think about when you go to sleep? When you're bored, where does your mind race to? That's where your real hope is. Psalm 33, 17, the psalmist says, The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. There are a million false hopes and false saviors out there, and though they seem mighty, they cannot save you. But there is a promise, a certainty of a Savior who will bring you to a place where nothing can hurt you. Where if you, if you have asthma and you struggle to breathe, you'll be able to breathe freely. I mean, if you have a brain condition or a heart condition, you'll be free, free to concentrate, free for your mind to work the way it was meant to work. Your heart will actually beat on beat. Hear the good news. Verse 5 and 6, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened the ears of the deaf unstopped, and then the, shall, the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Oh, Lord, make it so. But for those of you that's, that says, this just sounds too good to be true, this is truly the opiate of the masses. This is a great escape. Well, let's get to the proof in the pudding. 
The only way to ever get someone to believe you'll do something in the future is if they have proof that they can trust you. There needs to be evidence. There needs to be ways for me to say, I can trust you. Last night, we ordered some food on this app called Favor. And uh, it's an app that delivers food to your doorstep. And what a wonderfully lazy thing for us to have, uh, but very helpful in the year 2020. Um, But how crazy is it that, that we would just give some random person I've never met all of my credit card information, my home address, my cell phone number, and what I want from Bangkok Royal. Um, like, we're not that close. <laughs> but who owns the Favor app? HEB does. And so I knew I can trust this random app because I've seen what HEB has done. I trust them. Likewise, how could you ever believe Isaiah 35 to be true? When life is dark, when the advent has felt like it, it began in March... <laughs> Like we're just in constant waiting, only in only winter and never Christmas. I mean, 2020 has made us all people of Advent. We're all just longing for the end of this brutal year. <laughs> but how can you believe the promises in this chapter? We have to see the proof, evidence. And we, we, we see it here in a very funny and odd way. Verse 8 tells us in this new heavens and new earth, it says, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Now you might be thinking, oh great, another thing I'm not invited to. (laughs) But here's the picture. You have a highway, a a line that divides those who get in this perfect land with the redeemed land, uh, with the people of the redeemed. But that line separates those who are in from those who are out. It is called the highway of holiness. And, it, and it's clear, it says, those who are unclean, unholy, shall not pass over it. And so if you are a sinner, if you've ever hurt someone, if you've ever said harsh words, if you've ever sinned to advance in your job, if you've ever done nothing, and that was the problem, you did nothing when you should have stepped forward for those who needed it. If you abdicated your duties as a father, as a friend, uh, simply as a human being, if you've done anything worthy of guilt, all of those promises we just spoke about for this hopeful future are not for you. They are restricted to those who are clean, who belong to the way. But before you get thoroughly discouraged, the text also says in verse 9, but the redeemed shall walk there and the ransomed of the Lord shall return. The redeemed, that word has a a financial meaning to to it. So something bought, you you can think of redeeming your iTunes gift card. Someone bought your freedom so that you could walk there. You are redeemed by a redeemer. You are in an official relationship with this person. But how did that happen? I mean, a minute ago, you were condemned, condemned to a place where you rightly should be paralyzed by the darkness, where there is no hope. And then you were redeemed. But at what cost? What did it cost to redeem you? Well, the Lord never reduces his standards to match the weakness of his people. That highway of holiness was still there. You still had to be perfect And so God needed a holy one to take your place. He needed a holy one to do what you couldn't do. And Jesus, he made a way. 
in Utah, there, there's, there's a spot where the, these animals kept crossing the highway during the day and at night. And, and the speed at which the cars would go up and down the highway, the amount of lanes to cross, the, the highway acts like a barrier. And the animals could not cross it unless they risk being run over, killed by a car zooming along. And sadly, there were so many collisions and so much roadkill that the people of Utah decided to make a bridge just for animals to cross over the highway. And it was phenomenal. Today, animals can safely cross over this highway that, that at one point was a divider line that said, you cannot cross or you will be killed. But someone made a way. And today they can freely, safely, happily cross over. Because you and I violated God's holiness, we were blocked. There was no way for us to cross over into that promised land. But Jesus saw our condition and he took the death. He took the hit from the cars. He made a way for you and me. Jesus stepped in and he took the wrath of God so that you could have the joy of the Father, so that you could have hope. Jesus made a way across the highway of holiness. And so on what basis can we trust that his promises of hope are true? Just look at what he did for you at the cross. Paul says the same thing in Romans 5, 5. He says, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so we hope, not on a, a wing and a prayer that maybe, just maybe, things will work out in the end. No, with absolute certainty that Christ will fulfill his promises because he did so when he bled out for you and me. And so we can know these things to be true. We can know verse 10 will happen. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion, which is another name, another name for heaven, with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads, and they shall obtain gladness and joy. And get this, and sorrow and sign shall flee away. Oh, isn't that good news? <laughs> that the sorrow and sign shall flee. It's almost as if sorrow and sign are, are afraid of him. They can't stand to be in his ferociously loving Savior King's presence. I mean, have you hoped in him? Where has your hope run to? chariots or, or whatever else there is here on earth don't wait put your hope in him be filled with hope be people of hope hope even in the darkness because his first advent began in the darkness we're not hoping like we hoped that the pen would bend we have reason to hope the same power that brought jesus to be born as a baby the same power that casts out legions of demons the same power that made a way across the highway of holiness, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you now and in the days to come. He has come and he will overcome. He will make all things, all things, and everyone say it with me one more time, he will make all things new. Hope in him. Let's pray.